Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that we can gather here freely, and I thank you for this church, uh, Kelvia Heights Baptist Church, and for the, uh, the gospel message we promote. And I thank you uh, for every person that is here and for their, uh, hopefully for their obedience to you and their trying to, to walk with you daily. And at times that can be difficult, and even the, the age we live in, the culture, the different things we're looking at that can, can be divisive, can be almost uh, overwhelming, the things that are happening. But may, as we go through this day, we be encouraged that you're a God that is, uh, is working the last days, you're working the end times, and you have a plan, and ultimately you will redeem uh, all things and make all things new. I pray that we would be encouraged through this study, and we'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, so when I started three weeks ago, someone said, what is this study about? I'm like, I don't know. Where do we go from here? I'm not sure. Uh, no, I do know what this, t- hopefully if, if you're new, you're still like, what is this about? So let me, I'm not going to do all three weeks, but basically it's current issues, things we're experiencing today. And then how does that line up with God's plan with the end times? This is not necessarily prophecy. I'm not, uh, we're not going to figure out when Jesus is coming back. That's not the point of this. The point is, there's things happening in our last, in the last decade, in the last two decades. You can like, and uh, they're like, hmm, I wonder how that fits in with God's plan. Uh, so, we've already looked at socialism or moving towards socialism and nations that do that. We've looked at globalization, the fact that as we get closer to the end times or Christ's return, nations are going to come together, and and they're doing that. Uh, last week uh, we looked at pandemics. It's just a fun topic. Uh, and uh, we covered that, and tonight, just we're just going to get excited about economic chaos. Okay, that will be fun. So, if you all have your wallets, I'm just joking. Any of y'all have cash on hand? Because very few of us do. One person, a couple of y'all do. Wow, I thought cash was obsolete. What's cash? Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, economic chaos, and that uh, there are some things that we should be watching out for, uh, and, there, and there are references in the, in the scriptures that talk about uh, some warnings when it comes to uh, economics or commerce, and then for sure in times, there are some things that are going to happen in the end times that you're like, how is that going to happen? But we see, we can see signs of things to come. We're heading, our technology is advancing rather rapidly. But uh, a couple of things before we start, a couple of things when it comes to the economy that have changed. If you start with the economy, I think the first thing, uh, digital financing, digital economy, everything is becoming digital. I just said there's not much cash. I was going to bring in a dollar bill. Like what it, it probably won't be too, too long, too many years before people don't know what a dollar bill is anymore. You know, uh, How many of automatic deposit when it comes to payroll? It just goes right to your bank account. You never actually see the check, right? Um, those things are happening. It's becoming digital. But if you go to the history of it all, it all started back. Digital financing began in the early 1900s. When stores began to issue proprietary uh, cards, then in 1946, uh, American Express, or 1950, American Express rolled out its first credit card. Yay. How fun is that? And uh, revolving credit. And then with the onset of the Internet, everything has become digitalized. Uh, we're all relying on, uh, on the trustworthiness and security of electronic systems and massive banks to manage all of our savings accounts, checkings accounts, and to ha- handle all our finances. Few people these days are actually stuffing their cash under their mattresses. If you still do that, uh, any of y'all do that? Don't, don't, don't admit it. Don't admit it. That would not be safe. Uh, but uh, 
you know, we don't we don't hide cash that way. No, we're we're stockpiling now uh, currency on digital banks and digital money. Um, direct deposits is all is all happening uh, today. You can, with a click of a mouse or maybe a tap of a finger, you can buy anything you want just like that, as long as it's linked to your debit card or a credit card or whatever. Uh, they made it very simple for us to purchase things. You can download entertainment, assuming you have Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, mutual funds, you can do household items, you can, you can buy an entire home uh, digitally these days, or buy a car. You don't even have to go to the car dealership, you just, I don't know if I'd do that. I'd rather drive it first before you buy it, but that's just me. Um, cash and checks are practically obsolete. Remember birthday cards, when you would give a, you send a birthday card and it has that little perforated thing where you could put a dollar bill in there, right? Come on, guys. Venmo or whatever, you can just send it that way. Amazon gift cards, we don't, we don't send checks anymore, right? I have to go to the bank, or now you can take a picture of it on your phone and deposit it that way. Yes. So we have become quite digital, uh, and the, the trend in the 21st century is just accelerating even more. In 2019, the Federal Reserve did a study, and 174.2 billion non-cash payments pr- processed in the United States uh, in 2018, that was an increase of more than $30 billion from 2015. Uh, we're becoming more digital. Uh, in the year 2000, that was only 14, $14.5 billion in checks, and the rest, not very much, was digital. But now we're all digital. In 18 years, everything's just about become digital. Uh, 2020, everything, the pandemic, and now that it just makes us even more digital. Now you need to make sure... Uh, you know, I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to. Everything is digital. Uh, and a study recently, a study uh, after the pandemic or during the pandemic found that 60% of people plan to exclusively use digital and contractless payment methods in the future. Let's just go all digital, right? It's kind of where we're heading. And shockingly, a full third of respondents, 32% of those that took this survey were in favor of removing all paper money and coins from circulation. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> this is where we're heading very quickly. And uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? It's not just digital currency, but also uh, microchips. Um, you know, this and Apple Pay, and you have all the things linked to your debit card and your credit card. I'm just a little concerned about that. I'm like, uh, it just concerns me some. You know, I, I go to Chick-fil-A, and I don't even have to give them my card anymore because it's linked to my... Yeah, I'm concerned about that. Uh, but they say debit cards, if it's not you, then you can get, well, you know, you can cancel it, whatever. But I'm like, then you have to get a new debit card. That takes 10 days. What am I supposed to do in between? What's that cash thing again? Uh, this is the land we live in. But this microchip technology in Sweden, they've developed it. Uh, a little chip is inserted into your body, into your index finger, and all of it concludes your personal data, your banking information, all of that things. And thousands of people in, in Sweden are already doing that. <clears throat> we already have all of that information on this. How long before it goes from this to this? Not, it won't take long. <laughs> it won't take long. Uh, I had a guy, uh, AT&T, uh, we're going to get uh, fiber optic 
cabling in our neighborhood, which no one told me that was happening until they're in your alley and they're cutting off your wife. They're severing your Wi-Fi thing. I was not happy. But they're laying all the pipe and it's going to be great. Internet's going to be great. I'm like, that's great. I just want, I just want to watch my TV show. That's all I want right now. And I can't. AT&T, you call them. They can be out there in three days. I'm like, AT&T, you're the people that dug this, whatever. And now I can't, and you can't come out for three days. Oh yeah, that's how it is. Uh, we're all becoming very digital, and we need instantaneous all these things. Um, uh, but the guy that came out from AT&T, he was telling me that he just bought a new house. Some of these guys that work and do these Wi-Fi things, they just want to talk. But they just love to talk. They talk to me. Evidently, I have the sign that says, please tell me everything. <laughs> I really just want you to fix what you're here to fix. But let's talk about it while you do it for an hour and a half. But uh, he told me, yeah, I built a house in Odessa, and he, where he was a policeman before, and he worked in the military and all these things, and now he's making good money doing this for a team. I'm like, that's fine. But he said, yeah, with his new house that he's building, he, has, he had to download five different apps just so he could get in his front door so he can control his, all his different things. All of it's controlled to his house is on this. I'm like, what if you lose this? What if someone else gets this? Red flags went up for me. I'm like, okay, we're all becoming very dependent on those things to control everything. But this uh, in Sweden, they've already got this chip that can do all those things. I don't think it'll be long before you head down that route. In uh, times, it talks about these trends and technology. It's, it, it for sure is mentioned in Revelation 13, 16 through 17. It says during the tribulation, it says he causes all to receive a mark on their right hand are on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast. The Antichrist is all involved in that. And if you don't have that chip, you aren't getting any groceries. And you aren't going anywhere if you don't bow down. That's where it's heading. So the biometric chips and that to development and how digitalized we are. But then also third, cryptocurrency. Uh, this is the new thing, cryptocurrency. And if you have your cryptocurrencies and the Bitcoin and the whatever, I don't know how it works. And I'm just under the Dave Ramsey mentality. If I don't know how it works, I don't do it. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of people have made a lot of money about it. But this digital currency, uh, it's all digitalized, decentralized. It exists entirely in the world of cyberspace. Uh, they're produced online. They're stored online. That's spent online. Uh, you know, I remember remember the Canadian truckers and they were doing their protests and all that, and they like we're freezing all your cyber, all your cyber stuff, and they were able to freeze all their accounts. They can't do it anymore. I don't want the government in my bank account. It's never a good idea. It's not good even on your IRS payments and stuff. Don't give them your bank account. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't need that link. You need to stay out of there. Um, but uh, cryptocurrency, it's all becoming very digitalized. What does this all mean? This study, you can't make definite things, but you can read the writing on the wall. You can look at the science and, like, we're, we're quickly heading that direction where those things that we read in Revelation, like, how could that, po- a couple of, maybe, a, you know, a century ago, how could that even happen? What do you mean something in their finger? Now we see movies where that's just normal, you know? What do you mean you don't have that in your finger? I'm like, I don't want that in my finger. Uh, we're heading there. But you have to be careful in turning principles and prophecies into specific predictions or people and places or events. Some things have to remain unclear. Uh, but for sure, God is going to play a role in money. Money is going to have an essential role in the future events of the end times. Money has always been important. It will continue to be important. Uh, everything's connected. Economics is increasingly important today. It's driving our world. 
the price of gas is, is up because Putin invaded Ukraine. That's what the media wants us to think. But the price was going up before that happened, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, things go up and things come down. That's how, how the economy operates. But uh, money's involved in the impact of end times, uh, and it's going to continue to be that way as it leads up to the tribulation period. Again, I covered that I believe, I'm a pre-tribber, I think God's church will be raptured up before the tribulation. Maybe it's just because I like to think that would be easier that way. Uh, maybe it's wishful thinking. Uh, God willing, please let it be that way. Uh, but if it's the other way, and sure enough, I had to live through the tribulation and whatever, then I pray I would be loyal to God and, and know that he's still working throughout history. But you see three things when it comes to what does this mean for us. You see, number one, the addiction to money. We live in a day and age where everyone's addicted to money. Um, and they, you know, these, these app developers, you know, the Robin Hood. Uh, I have a confession, okay, a confession. Can I just, is this being, this being recorded? Great. I did, I, I, I got into the Robin Hood thing and I bought like $100 of stock. It was crazy. And you know what it did to me? It made me check it every day. In my mind, I'm like, did it go up? Did it go down? This is really fun. It's like a little video game. Oh, it went up. I'm in a great mood. Oh, it went down. I'm bad, bad mood, sad, angry. What's going on? These developers of software are very good at enticing you and getting you addicted to things you don't really need to be addicted to. Once I regain my money, what little I put into the stock market on individual stocks, I'm selling it because I'd rather not know. I'd rather just invest it in good mutual funds, and it's going to go up and down, and I'd rather not know because it drives me nuts, okay? The point is, be careful. The addiction to money is easy, and these software and apps and all these, they, they, they make it very addicting. But it was addicting even before these apps and different things on phones. Just the love of money. Um, 2 Timothy 3, and just it says, I'm going to go pretty quick through the scriptures. They're listed there. Uh, but it says, uh, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of money. It's easy to think that that verse is simply for Wall Street, isn't it? Those guys are lovers of money. But actually, we can all be lovers of money. It's not money that is the bad part of that. It's the love of money that's the bad part. Uh, it's like with any idol in and of itself, that whatever that is, maybe not a bad thing. But if I love that thing more than I love God, then it's an idol, and that's a bad thing. Not the thing that's bad, it's my love of it that is bad. And so uh, Paul is telling Timothy, be careful of the increasing appetite for money and the things that you can do with it. Uh, he also says in 1 Timothy, in his first letter, Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The more you chase money, the more you want more, and you more you want and before you know it, you're greedy, and that's all you can think about is money. That's not how God wants us to live. John Piper said this. He said, God deals in the currency of grace, not money. Money is the currency of human resources. So the heart that loves money is a heart that pins its hopes and pursues its pleasures and puts its trust in what human resources can offer. So the love of money is virtually the same as faith in money. You believe in it, you trust, you put your confidence, insurance in it, that money will meet your needs and make you happy, but money can't make you happy. The billionaires can be some of the most 
unhappy people in the world. Athletes, professional athletes, you think, man, they got, you, you know, on, sorry ladies, on ESPN, you see all the contract updates, four years, 400 million, whatever dollars. I'm like, I can do the math. That's a lot of money. Man, that guy's set or woman is set. Nah. Half of that will go to the government, right? Money doesn't bring you. I mean, Solomon, he had all the money he could ever want. He said, it's just vanity. It's just chasing after the wind. It's just never fulfilling. That's how money is. Um, our addiction to wealth will, will only grow stronger if we, as we approach the end of history. We must guard our own attraction toward materialism. We must find the right balance in terms of lifestyle and, a, uh, and that is challenging and requires divine wisdom. Financial greed is, is everywhere in our culture, uh, but it cannot, it cannot become installed within our character. We must be different. So you see this addiction to money in the culture, but also you see acceleration of inequality when it comes to money. The last days, uh, so we're living in the last days. The last days, when I say that, it's anywhere from the ascension of Jesus Christ uh, to the return of Christ. Those are all the last days, so for sure we're in that. Um, the tribulation, on the other hand, is that seven-year period during which God will he'll complete his discipline of Israel. He'll fully bring his wrath to bear on the evil of the world. Revelation 6 through 18, all those chapters describes that future period of this tribu- tribulation, this seven-year period. Uh, it talks about that in, uh, in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says this, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. That is not fracking oil, that is olive oil, just so you know the the difference. So this third seal of judgment he's talking about during this tribulation, it paints a picture of worldwide famine, uh, many people are going to be forced into poverty. There's going to be hunger, despair. It's not going to be a good time. Verse 6 says, A quart of wheat will sell for a denarius. A denarius is about a day's wage. So you get a little bit of wheat for a day's pay. That's poor. Um, a loaf of wheat bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine, it says in verse 6. Um, so basic staples and supplies will be outrageously expensive and it will be tough to find and it will be affect just about everybody. But there will be some of the finer things still available for those that can afford it. Um, in short, the tribulation will be a period of extreme economic inequality. The richer will get rich and the poorer will get poor. I don't think we're there today. We're heading there, but we're not all the way there. Um, but then third, you see the adoration of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, he's going to be the personification of charisma. Um, the Bible gives a clear glimpse of him calling him a beast. It says in Revelation 13:1 that he will be a beast rising out of the sea. He rules alongside a second beast that is his compadre, and this one comes out of the earth according to Revelation 13:11. The second beast is called the false prophet. So you got the Antichrist, you got the false prophet. Um, the false prophet will have one supreme, 
purpose, to point humanity toward the Antichrist. Give everyone's attention to the Antichrist. That's what the false prophet will do. It's the antithesis of how the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ. So you got the false prophet pointing people to the Antichrist, Holy Spirit pointing people to Jesus Christ himself. This false prophet, it says that he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He will appear like a meek and gentle lamb, but in reality he's a heart. He has a heart of a destroyer. Uh, Satan will be the power behind everything he does and accomplishes. The Antichrist will be the political figure, uh, the leader in the tribulation. The false prophet will be the spiritual and economic leader. Um, He'll be all these things. He'll accomplish such incredible things for the Antichrist. He'll do such things, even the, God's word says, he'll, he'll bring the Antichrist back up life after a mortal wound. He'll be able, through demonic purposes, he'll be enabled, enabling an idolatrous image to speak. He can do some incredible things through satanic powers and things like that. Uh, the false prophet will have supernatural dynamic influence. Uh, he'll be in charge of the entire world's economy. Again, globalization, digital things, uh, he can control it all at that point. Uh, I've already read part of this, but Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says this. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. That's in the word of God. Without that mark, you can't buy or sell anything during this time. So that word mark, it was used in the first century Greek. It was connected to the emperor of Rome at that time. and It contained his name, the effigy, and the year of his reign. It was necessary to have that mark for commerce. It was required to to be able to validate any legal documents. The mark of the beast will indicate that the one wearing it is a worshiper of that beast. If you submit to his rule, great. If you don't, you're out of luck. And you're going to have some major, major heartache coming your way. Um, Even more frightening, Satan and the Antichrist will create a union between religion and economics during the tribulation. You can kind of see that heading that that direction even now. Economics and religion, let's just hold hands. Be careful. Um, There will be this union between that, and there will be no room for freedom of worship. The Antichrist will be at the top of the one world cult, and his false prophet will be by his side. Their never-changing, unbending law is simply worship me or die. So that is some of the things that it's heading towards, according to God's word. That's three of the things that are going to happen. So where do we go from here in the present day, where we are now? Uh, Technology already exists that makes some of these things sound pretty plausible. Uh, We could well imagine the economic and religious union summed up by the mark of the beast. Addiction to money is already here. Economic equality is pretty much already here. Um, I'm for capitalism. If you work hard and you're able, then I'm and and I'm I'm for what Ramsey would teach that if you are economically blessed, then you you should probably do three things with that, which is one, save, 
to, and what were they? they? Give. Well, I know the third one was give. I forget what the other one is. Not in my notes. I should have it in my notes, but I don't. Uh, you have a heart. You have to have, even if God blesses with you a lot of resources, you should have a heart of giving because you realize, people should realize it's not God blessed me with the resources I have. Um, and we need to try to help in those that are, are less privileged to do some of the things. But uh, where do we go from here? Uh, we need to be aware of the trends, but we don't need to be totally alert at the same, I mean, on edge. We don't need to live in fear, um, but we need to be informed. After all, if you're a, a child of the king, if you ask God at some point in your life to be your Lord and Savior, forgive you of your sins, then you're a child of the king. Uh, you're, you're a child of God. You're a chosen member of his kingdom. You are his disciple, and you are a friend of God. You're part of his family. You're a family member uh, of the royal nation, and this nation is going to be used to change the world through the gospel of Christ that it spreads to the uttermost parts of the world. So we should respond to apocalyptic danger with uh, emphatic determination and timely wisdom. We should be smart. We should be aware I'm not afraid, but I am confident in my God and what he's doing and that he's working throughout history. Three things we should do or could do uh, in regards to this economic chaos that's coming as we approach the end times. Number one, or first, determine to count the cost of following Christ. Um, I think America is quickly becoming anti-Christian against Christianity, if you're not sure about that. I, I remember when I was a kid, and it was, like, acceptable, and, you know, it's almost like, oh, of course, you go to that church. Well, why don't we put you on the board of this and that and this and that? But now it's almost, oh, it's a church goer. They shouldn't have any opportunities, you know. It, it's, it's our, um, and I do think, I don't believe it, it's, it's God working through his means that as we approach the end times even more and his return, it's going to become even more against Christians in Christ and his message. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. And we're in America, and you would hate to see it, and he's like, I would hate to see that in America, but it's happening. Uh, it's happening. Um, so there should be, and in most other countries, there's been martyrs throughout church history. There, you know, you take a stand for Christ, it's going to cost you. But in America, we seem, we seem to think, it's not going to cost me anything. I can be a Christian, and I can still have all my everything, and nothing's going to be costed. That day's going to change. It's coming quicker than you know. But the Gospel of Luke, Jesus, he talks about a parable about counting the cost. He said this in Luke chapter 14. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So likewise, whoever... Uh, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus is going to require a cost. Jesus himself says, take up your cross and follow me. Um, throughout history, this has been the case. And our circumstances, in our, even in our nation, I think are heading that direction. Uh, as the world veers further away from God and his values... And as time moves closer toward this Armageddon end time event, uh, we'll arrive at a moment when proclaiming the name of Jesus requires some sacrifice. Um, 
But, you know, it talks about having a scale, you know. If you put on a, a scale that weighs two different things, if you look at your life and you're going to balance, you're going to weigh two different things in your life. On one side of the scale, it's the trappings of your riches. It's your possessions, your comforts, your career, uh, all those things. And on the other side, it's the blessing, salvation, and works, and the word of God. Which one's more important? Which one should weigh heavier in our life? We know what we say, but oftentimes, uh, this is really, really important to me. It's the security that I have and the whatever, and I need this. It can be out of balance. Determined to count the cost to follow Christ, even in economic hardship or whatever hardship might come. I don't believe we're going to be burned at the stake right now. People have, Christians have done that throughout history. They've been burned at the stake. But it will cost us something. I don't know what that will be, but it will become more difficult to uh, profess Christ and be a follower of him. But also determined to be confident. Uh, uh, You know, God is going to give us his riches of his wisdom. He's going to give us his knowledge. But we can be confident and simply that God's presence is always with me. Uh, this is how Paul was able to, when he's in chains in the Roman prison, and he's able to say, I have gratitude and thanksgiving, I have the joy of the Lord in my heart, I'm praising God. And all these. He, wasn't, he wasn't locked into his circumstances, he was focusing on his, his Christ. That God was with him regardless of where he was, where, where we, that gave him the confidence he had. No matter what cost we may pay to follow Christ, we'll never sacrifice our connection to him. We'll always be connected to Christ. In Hebrews, uh, the writer says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may, be, we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the confidence we should have. These emphatic statements of the New Testament that no matter what happens in our life, God will always be there. And God should be enough. God has given his everything for us through giving of his son to die for us so that I could have a right relationship. I didn't, I, I didn't deserve that. I was a sinful creature. I had a sin nature. All have sinned, false for the glory of God, yet Christ died for me. In his grace, his mercy, his love, he chose to give his everything so that I could have a relationship and you could have a relationship with that God. We should declare our confidence in God and in him alone. He is our sustainer. He's our provider. Uh, and he always will be there. God is simply enough. He's enough in every situation you, might, you and I might face. David expressed that sentiment when he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Um, he should be our ultimate treasure. And he enables us to feel independent of the sinful desires of humanity and all the schemes and all the... The, blue, the sky is falling days when it's just everything's so negative and it's just so blah. God is supreme. God is at work. So don't, don't live in fear. Stand in awe of the living Lord and, uh, and he will be faithful. Even if our culture continues down a path of greed, we don't have to walk that path. That's the challenging as, as, as we're Christ followers to become true Christians is typically anti-culture. It's counterculture the things he asks us to do is not the way the world is going the world's going this way and we have to go this way 
just because the world's going to lead you to a bunch of self-seeking, selfishness, greed. I mean, you look at the passage in the New Testament that talks about the world. It's not a pretty picture. It doesn't describe the world. Ever since sinful nature, now if you go Genesis 1 and 2, the world was fantastic. But ever since sin came into this world, it has not been the same. Thirdly, determined to be content. Because God never leaves us or forsakes us, we can be content with what we have. You will always have a desire to want more. There will always be someone that has more than you or has something that you want that you don't have. There will always be someone like that. Um, Be content. Be content with what God has given you, with the relationships, with the children, the grandchildren, the parents, the grandparents, whoever he's put into your life, be content. Don't get into the comparison game. Don't get into the woe is me. God may have a reason he gave you that difficult parent or that difficult child, and you may not know this side of heaven why that was. Um, I, uh, my, my, well, yeah, my two kids, uh, one's in college and one is still living at home somewhat. When he needs food and money and gas, that's when he shows his face. But otherwise, he's in his room. But uh, they, I would describe them as pretty, pretty two, two fairly easy kids to raise. Now my daughter is pretty... Um, um, in Jeff Franklin's terms, she's a lion. She can be a lion personality-wise, so we can go, let's do this, you know, kind of numbers. But she has learned to tame and control a little bit. But my kids are fairly easy to raise. But uh, I know someone in my immediate family, I'm not going to go into who, but their, their, their child is 13, and she's been nothing but, and they adopted her, and there's been nothing but difficulty. Everything is hard. And I, my heart goes out for this person, like the, for the parents, like, why, God, did you allow that into their lives? I'm like, only God will know that. There are some difficulties that we have to just trust that God is working. But when it comes back to materialism, to be content is something we have to fight with. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. It also says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity, it says in Ecclesiastes. Covetousness is a subtle condition, but it's all in our mind. I just need more, and I need more of what they have. I need that now. And it can grow, and it can consume your mind. You can agonize over it. You can lust after it. You can desire for it. And it's just all you ever think about. And when we're living that way, the sinful nature of these desires is not bringing honor and glory to God. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, he tells us how to replace coveting with contentment. Uh, he says that we should be content with God. Uh, the word there, contentment, actually in the Greek, it means to be satisfied that God is adequate, he's competent, he's sufficient. The same word is used in 2 Corinthians 12.9 that says, my grace is sufficient for you. God, you're simply enough. You're actually more than enough. Someone has once said that Christian contentment is the God-given ability to be satisfied with loving the loving provision of God in any and every situation. I'm simply content, God, with you. You are my everything. That's how when the uh, contentment is something you learn over time. The apostle uh, Paul That's how he was able, he learned this. It wasn't that he had it probably when he was a teenager. I don't think any teenager's content. I'm not sure. Uh, 
that you learn it over time, and actually through the Holy Spirit working inside of our life, it teaches us. But Paul said this in Philippians 4, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abused, and I know how to abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love to quote that last verse. We take it out of context, okay? If you put it back in the context, which I just read the context, what's he talking about? Does it mean I can win the Super Bowl? Because Christ said I can do all things, and he'll give me the strength to do it. That's not what that verse means, right? Although I'd love to win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady might retire. Maybe I have a shot. I don't know. Um, That's not what that verse means. No, in the context, he's talking about being content with God. In whatever situation I am in, If it's great or if it's the worst, Christ will be with me and he'll sustain me through it. And I can do all things. I can get through it with Christ in me. That's what the verse means. Okay? So contentment, Paul learned to be content. And there were times in his life when he truly had very, very little. He had nothing. Yet he is still probably to this day considered the greatest missionary ever. God used him because his focus wasn't on what he had or didn't have. His focus was always on Christ and his message. Paul wasn't born a saint. He didn't come into this world as a vast, uh, with a vast reserve of contentment. No, he learned contentment through experience. Uh, he learned that through both comfort and through hardship. Uh, he learned contentment by honestly evaluating the value of wealth and uh, versus the value of his uh, connection to Christ. Is my need for wealth And security in that, is that more important than me simply following Christ with my whole heart? And to Paul, he would choose this one every time. And he did. Like, I don't care if I don't have anything. God will take care of my needs. I trust him for that. My focus is going to be on this. So, again, the money is not the problem. It's our love for it and our tendency to just need more and more and more of it that becomes the problem. When it becomes an idol. So, yes, our world is approaching uh, money, and and the way it's heading down is troubling to think about. Uh, We as Christians should avoid some of the the dangers in our culture that we see. How do we do that? Uh, You must count the cost to follow Christ. And there's not just cost to follow Christ. There's also a lot of benefits to following Christ. Uh, There's a freedom I can have. Uh, I don't have to relive all of my past sins every time I've been forgiven for those sins and, and he's creating me and making me a new creature. Then why the enemy loves to bring up all our past and how bad we were. But I'm like, let's press forward. Let's press forward with what Christ wants to do with me now. Uh, there's a lot of benefits and freedom and liberty we can have in following Christ. Um, and if you're following Christ and God blesses you with resources, like I said, you can... Uh, you know, our church is great about supporting missionaries all around the world. Uh, and uh, Kelby always, every time a missionary comes here, Kelby gets a pat on the back. And don't be conceited by that. But it is a way to say, we're using our, we're give, y'all are giving your resources to further the gospel message. We're on point. We're doing what God would have us to be doing. And keep doing that. And uh, don't become so self-centered and so uh, self-sufficient that this is mine. I actually have a hand that is open so you can give what God blesses us with in this oil money that, uh, yes, you're in a great place where there's a lot of oil money. 
which I think we'll still have, even though I think some powers that be want us to get rid of all the fossil fuels and all that. But I think, I think it's going to be around for a while, but I'm not, I don't know. What do I know? <clears throat> Just plug in everything, I guess. I don't know. Make sure there's enough charging stations for everything. And don't ever freeze, because that wouldn't be good either. But um, solar panels. Okay, moving on. Got off track. Uh, Open your Bibles, and I've read a bunch of passages. This is a topical study, so I realize that I'm all over the board, okay, with passages. Uh, But I want to end tonight with 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, just look at that. Um, Paul is encouraging his understudy, his his young pastor, um, Timothy, his, his predecessor at this church, and he's giving him some his greatest advice in chapter 3, or in these two, two letters. He says in chapter 3, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, boys, boast, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Remember that set? I said there's a passage in the New Testament where it talks about it's going to get bad. And we're seeing some of this, by the way, uh, which throughout human history, it's, it's not brand new, but there's new ways that we can show our, our true heart ugliness that it's there. Traitors, headstrong, hotters, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Ooh, that's a big one. We live in a day that loves pleasure. Having a, a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Get away from those people, Paul says to Timothy. Run. For it's this sort of those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. So he goes on, and then uh, he goes on, and he says, But Timothy, I want you to be a man of God. I want you to be a person of the word of God. So drop down to verse 12. Yes, and all who, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He talks about this persecution that's going to happen, that he was persecuted, and everyone that follows Christ is going to have some of that. Then verse 14, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And another verse everyone loves to quote quote all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof correction and for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work he says as he closes or this part of the letter to timothy and he says i want you to continue in the knowledge of truth that you have had ever since your upbringing so Timothy's uh, grand, grandmother was instrumental in his learning the scriptures. Uh, and Paul says, I want you to, to stay true to that, what you, what you know and you have been taught throughout the years of your walk with the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, you have to have this knowledge of the truth. And the second element that you need is you have to be, uh, you have to have conviction or belief. You have to have faith in what you know. That this obedience goes hand in hand with what the knowledge of God, then actually I have to obey what God says through his word. And then he ends it with, well, what is God's word? Well, all scripture is God-breathed. God made all of, he wrote all of it through human people. Uh, we did the Moses controversy on Sunday nights the last two weeks. Interesting, some of it went over my head. I have a doctorate, but still some of it went over my head. There's some smart people, I get it. 
bottom line is, yeah, there's enough evidence to prove <laughs> that uh, God handled or gave the uh, alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. Again, he gave it to Joseph, and somehow got it to the, through the Egyptians to the Israelites, and somehow it got to Moses, and he wrote down the first five books of the Torah. But sure enough, what they're always trying to do is they're trying to disprove the credibility of the Bible. If they can say God or these people that they claim that they wrote these books, they can disprove that, then we've disproven the Bible. We disprove the Bible, then we don't have a God anymore. That's always what they're trying to do. But science and archaeology and whatever, uh, they have a hard time disproving the Bible. <laughs> There's always ways to say, yeah, sure enough, God through history has been working his plan pretty well. He doesn't really need our help. He's, he's handling it. So he wrote all the scriptures, even the end times, revelation, all the things that are happening. Even though we don't know everything about it, we can trust that God is at work. But these scriptures, they're used, and Timothy says, and, and, God, and Paul says, use it for teaching, use it for rebuking, correcting when that's needed. Use it for training in righteousness so that Christians, Christ followers, the church cannot be just like the world. We can actually be different. This is where the world's heading, but the church, the Christians, should be saying, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not partaking in that. I don't need that in my house. I'm not going to allow that to come in. That's a mess. Um, we get to pick and choose those things. And the goal, of course, is so that uh, not just to be busy, and we know this instruction is and discipline and training. No, it's so that we can become the full, complete person that God would want us to have to be. Um, so that he could use us. So we study the Bible, we rely upon God's spirit, his revelation, the community of the faithful, the church, and we try the best we can to be obedient in the days we're living in. That's what God calls us to do. Um, These last days uh, are going to be characterized by increased ungodliness. It's going to continue to go that way. But God requires spiritual knowledge and uh, and, uh, to follow him with our faith and to obey him. And you've got to count the cost of following him. You've got to be confident that God is with us. And then last, be content in God and his resources. And whatever he gives us and whatever he doesn't give us, that's fine. God, I trust you and I walk with you. Um, let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being a God that is worth throughout all of history. I thank you for the validity of your word. And even in these scriptures that we looked and touched on some of them, I thank you that we can trust you and can trust your word. And uh, even as we look some of the things and as we, we are living you know, today and what it will be like a decade from now, two decades from now, it's just seen technology and current economics are changing so rapidly. But uh, may we not live in such a way that we fear or we dread what is going to come, but may we be knowledgeable, may we be alert. And may we, be, may we be ready for when you do choose to come back, because you promise you will. May we be ready for that and found faithful uh, to follow you with our whole heart and with our whole life. And we'll give you all the glory for that. We know that one day you'll redeem all things. We trust in you and uh, pray that you would equip us and you would satisfy us. May we be content in you and who you are and what you give us to use for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.